In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gaspacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And today, I am so thrilled to be here with Jen Stowe. She's the executive director of the National Workers Alliance, which is an incredible organization advocating for dignity and fairness for domestic workers in the United States. Thank you so much for being here, and congratulations on this this new position. I believe it's been it's been a couple months, or has it been how long has it been? It's so new. It's been almost two months. And thank you so much. I'm really excited. It's truly like the best job in the world. And I'm so excited to kind of take the lead at this organization and in this movement too. Absolutely. Do you have um, a background with this, with this topic? I mean, I'm so curious what, what path led you here? Yeah. So I have done a lot of things. Um, but ultimately, you know, I'm a granddaughter of a domestic worker my grandmother, Willie Stowe, um, is 90 years old. She's in Charlotte, North Carolina. She was a cleaning lady for many, many years. She cleaned houses. And so, um, she also organized within her community. So I feel really grateful to be standing in her legacy, um, and, and continuing to fight with domestic workers, um, today. Does she ever ask you just like very specific questions like, hey, Jen, this, can you fix this today? Like, oh, I, I, now I remember I want you, can you address this tomorrow just when you can get to it? Yeah. Or she'll, um, I mean, it's really basic stuff. Like she got invited to a 90 year old birthday party on zoom and she's asking me, can I set it up? Or, you know, even when I took the role, I was like, yes, I'm representing nannies, um, house cleaners and home care workers. And she was like, Oh, is that what a domestic worker is? Just like, Mm -hmm. you know, she's 90 years Mm -hmm. old. So even the narrative change around knowing what that is, is very like new to her, but yes, I'm her personal, um, tech specialist. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to start just like very broadly with the lay of the land on issues facing domestic workers, specifically two years into a pandemic. But I think as we'll discuss, like it wasn't necessarily um, a super, super sustainable environment even before this. So we've seen so many groups of workers kind of on a related note, develop some leverage in the job market in the past year or so. I feel like we're hearing that people are demanding higher wages and can be more picky in the types of job they do more than ever before. But I'm wondering if this has also benefit care workers and how they've been left out, if they've been left out, how has the pandemic kind of affected this profession broadly and how has sort of like the, not aftershocks, we're, we're still in this, but, but as I've referenced kind of the way other industries have, have reacted, give us a lay of the land. So like you mentioned, I mean, before the pandemic, domestic workers 
um, lacked economic security, benefits, workplace protections. Domestic workers are um, largely women, largely immigrant women, largely back black women, women of color. So we know that they've been historically been devalued in this country because they've been left out of workplace protections. And um, going in the p- pandemic, um, we started surveying domestic workers that, you know, more than 80 percent of domestic workers, um, even going into the pandemic, did not have a single paid sick day um, and they were living check to check. And so some domestic workers have multiple employers in order to make ends meet. Right. They don't just work for one singular person. And so this meant that they had to schedule several jobs um, throughout the week to get additional income. And um, so even missing one day, missing multiple streams of income. um, And they also put themselves at risk with the pandemic because there were no safety protections. Um, So I think that they were facing job loss, um, but they really didn't, there was no telework available. It's not a job that you can do like sitting at home like you and I. And so, um, I think that there just weren't a lot of options to keep them safe. Um, and their risk of COVID-19 exposure, um, was just really heightened. So we saw domestic workers who, um, were experiencing, um, wage loss, job loss, um, lots of underemployment, um, even still two plus years into the pandemic. And I mean, I have to assume that, you know, the numbers we've heard about how many women have left the workforce and chosen Uh not to return, of course, a portion of those I assume are are mothers. Has that affected the, like even the availability of, of getting back into a full-time profession if people need? I think that's right because the industry is changing and as people have different needs, you know, that kind of trickles down into the workforce. Um, and also the scope of the work has changed as well. We have, um, I was talking with a nanny from New York the other day, and she was saying that with the pandemic, for example, many employers relocated from the city into the suburbs, and some domestic workers are um, undocumented or informal. They aren't able to get um, driver's license, for example, and they or they don't have them, and they aren't able to get to the suburbs. You know, so that affects their ability to kind of. Um, keep employment. Also with people working from home, some jobs have changed. So you have people working from home and some nannies um, would tell me, you know, my employer now wants me to walk their dog. My employer now wants me to make their lunch, you know? So the job is expanding, but the wages aren't going up, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening. And um, what we've been organizing domestic workers around is really like standing firm and really getting things in writing, um, really um, pushing their employers if they feel um, if they feel comfortable to make sure that they can secure the wages that they deserve, especially in this period and get clear on the scope of work, too. Totally. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift, because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click 
gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com, and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Something we talk about a lot on the show and that I'd love to get your insight on is that every parent obviously deserves access to child care that they can afford. Uh-huh. But care workers can only offer their services at so low a rate. These are often usually professionals. So we're just often hearing of professionals unable to afford care and then providers having to close because the business is just unsustainable. So I know this is such a broad question, but how do we how do we fix this? It seems it seems so um, insurmountable. Like people can only offer work full time for a certain, you know, floor, but also not, you know, everybody it can't be that expensive to have kids. Like, you know, not everybody can, where do we go? It seems impossible. Yeah. Amanda, it, it sucks. I yeah. mean, <laughs> it really is just symptomatic though of the country's care infrastructure yeah. being broken, so, you know, yeah. um, from when we're elderly to caring for our disabled loved ones to caring for kids. Um, when parents can't afford childcare and then, you know, it, it's, you know, care workers can't sustain their businesses. Um, and so I think that when care workers aren't supported with access to benefits and worker protections, um, they leave the workforce, right? And so it's our children and our loved ones that suffer. So I think a part of fixing it really makes, um, 
care jobs, good jobs, investing in that po- those policy choices and making investments um, in those systems to make sure that care work can be jobs that can um, sustain families um, and thereby increase um, access to folks who need it most. Right now, a lot of care work jobs are, you know, basically poverty rate wages. I mean, folks making like $18,000 a year that in no way can sustain a family. So until we fix that, you know, then we'll get, get clear on really fixing the entire care infrastructure. But first people need to make more money. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Surely other, I'm curious if any other countries have figured this out or provide any models of, of what good childcare infrastructure looks like and what affordable childcare infrastructure looks like. Um, is there anything specifically about like our culture that differs from nations whose populations seem to like a collectively agree that caring for children or aging people is just is valuable? I mean, does it sort of play into the like individualistic like you just you just get old mm-hmm. and you, fig- you figure it out? Are there other countries that have figured this out? And is there a specific reason why why they haven't faced the same barriers we have? Well, I, I think the U.S. is tragically unique in that mm-hmm. we were built from the ground up through the labor of enslaved women, right? And so um, the notion of, of care um, and, you know, child care was first um, done by... Um, black women who provided care to, you know, slaveholders, children and families. So I think that's colored the way that we think about care today. Um, and I think that it tells a story of why, you know, us as a country, why the U.S. doesn't value care. Um, U.S. The U.S. does look at care as a private matter, right? Like something that speaks to like U.S. individualism um, versus the collectivism that you see in other countries. I also think that um, wealth is that is being made outside of the home is subsidized by women, often immigrant women, black women, women of color. Um, and we just know that that is work that is devalued. (laughs) And, um, unfortunately, and that's something that is, that is kind of unique to our society because of our roots. Um, and because of domestic work and care work originally being done by women who were enslaved. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, if hopefully we ever get to the point where we're sort of like quantifying the value of all this care, I feel like we just take for granted how much labor of all types like women are doing. We would just like have to do it so many, update it so many times. Like, oh yeah, I forgot this is economic value I'm providing to the household that, you know, I never considered. Right. And what is, I think there was, um, or a book or something that, that I had read that said that, um, if you value just the, the value of a, a stay-at-home mom per year, it'd be like $200,000. It's probably still not enough. But yeah, right. it's definitely like skilled work that should be paid as such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, do you have children? Yeah, I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do? You do. I was going to ask, like, if you did, where would you want to, what country would you want to sort of have them? I mean, you're, you're here, but are there any countries that model sort of like what you think not even could be possible here, but is there any countries that actually have gotten it, gotten it right in terms of like providing childcare as like a public good? You know what, you know, because I'm a black woman and and a black mother and that kind of colors how I see everything. I think that like our country just is doing a poor job when it comes to the maternal, um, 
outcomes of black women. So I'm looking at uh, any other country that, that does it a little better than us when it totally, comes to totally. that, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, I think this brings us nicely into, into our, my next question, which is the formula shortage. What does the formula shortage tell us about our messed up priorities here? How is it a symptom of what we've been talking about? I think it just drives home the notion that care is devalued because women have historically done it in our society. And then I also hope that it pushes us to have an honest conversation around like patriarchal values. I, I hate to say like patriarchal violence is the reason for everything. Oh, I don't <laughs> hate to say that. I love to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is. Um, I think that, um, you know, patriarchal values and misogynistic values really um, prevent childcare from being seen as like a collective responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, if this were the case, we would be just having a different conversation on the policy level, right? Like, but now it's like um, an individual problem that, that people are, you know, should, should look to solve in their own. Try other grocery stores, do what you can instead of a red, you know, alarm. It makes me think about other conversations we're having now around keeping kids safe at school. And it's like, they'll, they'll say a million times first, like, well, I don't know, put the kids, figure it out at home, homeschool them. Literally, I heard some, uh, somebody on Fox News propose homeschooling as a Truly. solution before actually addressing. The I think it's all connected and it's, totally. it's really our notion, um, you know, our, our push up against community and collective care on all fronts. So tell us about the Federal Domestic Worker Bill of Rights. We talked about how a lot of um, challenges that some of these workers face are that their employment arrangements might be kind of informal. Uh, does the Federal Domestic Worker Bill of Rights address this? Why is this necessary? And, you know, how will this address how some of these workers are excluded from basic protections? So I think that um, the pandemic showed us how essential care is in our society. We all need to be cared for at some point in our lives. Um, we are pushing for federal legislation to um, make sure that care is valued and to make sure that domestic worker jobs are good jobs. Um, that includes um, ensuring that rights of domestic workers and care workers aren't just on paper, but that they can be enforced and implemented. That's the important piece. Um, so I think that... Um, we're looking for protections in, in common um, workplace areas like making sure domestic workers have paid overtime, making sure that they have paid sick days, making sure that they um, can work uh, without um, the threat of sexual harassment. Um, and we're making sure that they can have workplaces that um, are safe and healthy um, working environments because there's no registry of workplaces where domestic workers are. They're, they're in private homes and we want to make sure that they can be protected in those homes. And with COVID in the past couple years, we see like how important that is. So we are fighting for policy on a federal level to ensure that folks in all 50 states can be included. Yeah. I mean, it's just so, it's so backwards that people that, you know, to work in people's private homes is, is quite a vulnerable position to be in. So it just feels like intuitive, like they would need the most protections and the most, you know, oversight. And the fact that they're completely left out is, is 
it's not right. It's not That's right. That's right. Uh, I mean, um, in the New Deal, there were two workforces really left out of labor protections, farm workers and domestic workers. Again, just because of historically, uh, you know, who we know does domestic work, like we know black women are domestic workers. Um, we know women of color are domestic workers and they were left out um, quite on purpose. And so I think that we have the um, ability to correct these wrongs and injustices to make sure that these jobs can be jo good jobs. They have to do that with with, you know, their wages being fair, but also their jobs being protected too. Mm -hmm. So what are some policy changes that could improve the workplace for nannies, house cleaners, and home care workers? We have midterm elections coming up. If people are animated and feel strongly about this issue, what, what policies and platforms should we, we be looking for from these candidates? So one is the notion of just making sure that the care infrastructure in this country is supported. Um, right now, we have the opportunity to really push the Senate for um, an investment in a Medicaid program called HCBS. That program is Home and Community-Based Services. Um, it's basically a program that really supports home care workers and the home care workforce in this country. Um, 70% of the home care workforce works um, inside of this program. Um, so they receive money from the federal government, from Medicaid, for taking care of um, loved ones, disabled uh, loved ones, and elderly loved ones alike. And the program is deeply um, devalued, um, and there's not enough money in it right now. Um, and so because of that, 800,000 people are on the waiting list um, in order to um, sign up for the program. And they're eligible, but the money doesn't have the funding that it needs to really thrive. I said this before, but you know, stabilizing the workplace is the first um, step in making sure that we can really have a caring economy and care infrastructure that we need. It will raise the wages of uh, home care workers and care workers. Right now, a lot of them make $18,000 a year, which we know is untenable. Um, I think that it will also ensure um, that they can take care of their families too. I think that... Um, what I have um, learned just in conversations always with domestic workers is that they love their jobs. They love their jobs so much. And um, a lot of domestic workers feel as if they come to this work as a calling. Even if they've come to it as a calling, $18,000 is not going to be enough for them to stay in the workforce. So I think making sure that they can have these jobs and take care of their families is really important because we know that this work makes all other work possible. So we have to put mm -hmm. our money where our mouth is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And finally, why is it only ever women who are talking about this and talking about childcare and domestic work? I mean, I feel like I can, it's 2022 and it's still women making up at least like 95 to 99% of these conversations. I mean, what impact Amanda. would it have for more, more men, more fathers to be part of this? It's literally just patriarchal violence. <laughs> Just have a button that says it. I know. <laughs> Literally, we need a button that says it. It's because of who we know does the labor of um, reproductive labor, you know, rearing children. Like, it's who historically has done it um, and, and who historically hasn't. And I think more men, um, they have to speak up. 
because we can't usher this, you know, we can't carry on this fight alone. And so I'm going to be calling them out personally. I don't know what you'll be saying, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's why it's just patriarchy and misogyny full stop. Right. And just, you know, like, I, I feel like this, this last month, some men probably learned for the first time, like, oh, babies don't just drink from boobies. Like literally, they have, like, it's so embarrassing, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> and if they don't even know that, like, of course they don't know that people are making $18,000 a year no. to care for the infants that it doesn't sound like a good time to force birth, Jen. Does they not have sound no like idea. It. Exactly. <laughs> At the same time, this country is trying to, you know, um, potentially eliminate Roe very rich that we're also, you know, not providing, um, what folks need to take care of their kids, including food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, press that, press that button. Thank you so much. What else, uh, where can people learn more about the national domestic workers Alliance and, and what you're all working on and where people can get behind you? Visit us online, all of our social media. Um, we're at domestic workers. Um, you can also visit us on domesticworkers.org. get tapped into our movement, sign up for our emails. Um, and yeah, just join us, join this movement because it's going to take all of us. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Jen. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Betches.